What a friend we have in Jesus. It's interesting when you're a teenager, your friends mean the world to you. Your, your friends will influence you to do things, influence you to do sometimes bad things, sometimes good things. But it's always good to have a friend. And we, re- we sang that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is your friend? He'll walk with you and he'll talk with you along life's dreary way. And we read John 15, 13. We're going to get into it a little bit more, but let's, let's look at this and break this down a little bit. John 15, 13 says this. It says, greater love hath no man than this. You know, there's something about your friend. Why are they your friend? Probably because you have the same interest, right? Going the same direction, maybe, maybe just acquaintances, but when you say your friend, greater love than that hath no man than this. And the next part says that a man laid down his life for his friends. Man, we need some friends. Amen. We live in a very real world and the, and the world is a wicked world. And so you need these friends to influence you. And if you've ever been in the military, you'll understand what this verse means even more. That a man laid down his life for his friends. I know that we've talked, I've talked to some people in this room that have been in military and they've been in active when, when it was, when there was shooting. I think of Ray and some of his stories that he has told me. Man, when you, when you're there, you're working together. Friends are always there. Friends are what we need. But then there's this other verse. When you always talk about friends, it's this verse, Proverbs 18, 24. You don't need to turn to it. Here's what it says. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. What does that mean? If you've got a a frown on your face all the time, you're probably going to attract people that have frowns. Amen. If you're happy, you're probably going to get, you're going to be happy. It says this, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. The key to this is the word hath. If you've got friends, you've shown yourself friendly. What does that mean? Then it goes on this. It says, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And who is he referring to with this brother? He's referring back to Christ. He's always going to be with you. And thank God for that verse. You know, I've got to show myself friendly. I've got to be friendly to have friends. But then on the other side of it, even when I'm all alone, I have a friend with me, and that friend is Christ. I wanted to point out three things to you this morning, and we're going to go pretty quick through these. There's three aspects I want you to see. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus is a friend. Now watch these three. He's a friend that will lift you up. He also is a friend that will always be there. Isn't that great to know? You know, have you ever thought you wanted to share something with your friend and you get on the phone and and you try to call them and they don't answer? What usually happens if it's something really great, Ray, you sit there and go, what am I going to do? Then if that person doesn't answer, you're going to call the next friend on the list and never tell them that the second or third friend you're calling, just make make them think that they're the first one you're calling. Amen. And so you're, you're calling them and you're trying to get somebody because you want somebody to always be there. And I think the biggest thing when it comes to Jesus is he pays your debts. He pays your debts. Isn't that a great thing to know? How many of you have a debt right now? When it came to a financial thing, you have a debt in your life. You don't have any idea how you're going to pay for it. And then someone would walk up to you and say, hey, I want to pay your debt off. How would you feel about that? Because Christ paid your sin sin debt. And I'm so thankful for that. So let's look at three stories in the Bible real quick. And I want you to see this. The first one, he will lift you up. Go to Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to go through this. And I want you to see this. This is a story you're probably familiar with. But I wanted to talk to you about friends. And I think about the friends and I think this, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. 
And Matthew chapter 14, and it starts in verse number 22, and it goes all the way to verse number 33. And this is the story where Jesus is walking on the water. And who asks him if he can come out? His disciple by the name of what? Peter. He, he sees the thing and he says, hey, can you invite me out? Is it, and we're going we're gonna to look at some of these. Now, as you look at this, here's what we've got to understand about a friend. The first one, I know these are small, but it says this. Christ knew Peter was going to ask to come. Isn't that great that God knows you? He knew that Peter was going to say, can I come out to see you? We were talking in Sunday school. If you were Jesus and you had to pick 12 disciples, who would you pick? Well, I could tell you by the stories in the Bible, I probably wouldn't have picked Peter. He was always in trouble. Never would have even thought to pick Judas. And I would definitely, I would, I would rethink Thomas for his doubting side. And probably Philip, those four out of the 12, I'd say, I don't know if I really want them as my 12 disciples. But you know what? God is a God of love, He's a God of forgiveness, and He is a teacher. And so in this story, He knows Peter's going to ask to come. Verse number 28, He asked, Lord, just bid me to come out there. He also knew this, He also knew Peter was going to, go, going to look at the situation. See, Peter was fine as he's walking on the water, but then he assessed everything, and he's like, oh my word, I'm in a storm. You ever been in a storm? What do you do when you're in a storm? Sometimes you look at the clouds and go, oh, wow, this looks like a bad storm. I've been on a boat two times when a bad storm was coming. And I remember I had all the seniors on a senior trip, and we saw a storm coming in Florida. And when Florida storms come, they come really quick. And I remember we were on an airboat, and this guy took off. He goes, oh, no, you see that storm? I didn't know that airboat would go that fast. And he, he took it as fast as he could to get across that lake, and you could just see it catching up with us. We got off the boat, ran to the dock, and we were underneath the pavilion, and all of a sudden it just was a downpour. You know, when you see that storm coming, you look around, you need some help. And he, Jesus knew Peter was going to look at the situation. But this is where God lifts you up. Look at the next part. Christ was there to lift Peter from the storm. Christ had positioned himself to be close enough when Peter fell for us to reach his hand down and pull him up. That's an interesting story to me. Because he could have been a long way and said, listen, I'm going to just walk. I'm going to let him tread this water for a little bit. That's not what he did. Christ is always there to lift you up. And he reaches down and he pulls Peter up. But you know what else God's doing while he's lifting him up? He's always using teaching moments. Look at what happens. And when I, when I read this story, there's an interesting thing. And Christ is always teaching, trying to teach those around him. Go to these verses and look at verse number 31. In verse number 31, it says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now, I can tell you as a pastor, if Peter had doubt, what about the other 11 that were in the boat? They had, they had less faith than he did. And they weren't about to come out and start walking on the water. But you know what? When, G, when Peter got through the whole thing, he could look at, at, look at these other disciples and said, hey, you know what? I got to walk on the water. I might have sank a little bit, but I walked on the water. And you know what? Jesus was there and he picked me up and he carried me through. But there's always teaching moments because look at the next verse. In verse number 31, 
it says this, it says, immediately, O thou of little faith, and when they were um, come into the ship, the wind ceased. See, he's there to pick you up. When you need Christ the most, he'll pick you up. He'll lift you up. And that's one of what, what a friend does. They lift you up. Not only does Christ lift you up, but let's look at the next one. The next one, he not only lifts you up, he's, he'll, he will always be there. This is an interesting story. Go to John chapter 5. Jump over to the other gospel, John chapter 5. We're talking about friends this morning. John chapter 5 and verse number 1. You've got to understand the setting of this. And, and in John chapter 5, it says this. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, that means they're, they're crippled, and it says, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. So basically what would happen, in verse number four, it says, for an angel went down to the certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever was the first after the troubling of the water stepped in, in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So here's this pool. I don't know why God did this, but he did it. He has a pool there, and all of a sudden he, he would have angels go down and stir it up, and the first one that would get into the water would be healed. The problem is, if you look at what they have, you have all these people that are crippled. They can't get into the water. But can I tell you something that Christ is always there? To put it in perspective, the guy he's about ready to talk to has been sick for 38 years. 38 years. That means, in perspective of us, he has been sick since 1980, if it was in our, day, in our daytime. 1980. Can you imagine how bad you would be if you were sick since 1980? I have a um, step-mother-in-law that has been sick since one of our daughters was born. She's been sick for 23 years. She has over 250 pallets in her stomach. She can't eat. She, can't, she has to take medicine to eat, take medicines to stop eating, do all this other stuff to sleep, to wake up. It's a miserable life. She has to deal with it, and she moves, she moves rather well with it. But here, this man's been sick for 38 years. Look at verse number 5. It says, And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity for 30 and 8 years. That's a long time to be sick. But Jesus has a plan for him. But the problem with him is he thinks he has no one to help him. Look at the story. Keep reading in verse number 6. It says in verse number 6, When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Question mark. He looks at this man down there and he goes, Are you, gonna, are you ever going to get over this? Are you going to get over this disease? And he has a thing that he says back to him that's a legitimate excuse. He tells the story. He says, The man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Can you imagine how discouraged you'd get with that? You're sitting there waiting, and I don't know if he waited his whole 38 years, but he's sitting there waiting. He hears and he sees the water stir, and he gets himself up. He's about ready to walk down into the water, and somebody walks down in front of him. Because, see, he wasn't the only one there that was, that was sick. All these other ones wanted, wanted their, their ailments to be healed too. So I've got a question for you with this. He had no one to help him, and Jesus knows that and asked him that question. But there's another thing. When I, was, when I was studying this, there's an interesting question that I asked myself. 
Why was he still there? Why was he still there? I mean, he, he told you that he would never be able to get in that water, Phil. He's just not going to be able to. There's no way he can get to that water. But why is he there? Because the only thing he had there was hope that this could have been taken care of by the water. Little does he know the man with living water is talking to him. So he's sitting there and he's just honestly probably in his own misery, misery going, how in the world am I going to get out of this? But can I tell you, you have a friend that's always there. And he knows what you need every step of the way. He knows what you need every, in every dark hour. He's there. He's the light in your world. He's the one that cares for you. When no one else will be there, he's there. The man said, I have no one. I, I don't know how to do this. I, by the time I try to get in the water, someone always steps in my way. So you know what sometimes we need is hope. And can I tell you, friend in here, the only hope you have is Christ. The only hope you have is Christ. He will always be there. And I love what Jesus says to him. Keep reading and it says this. And it says, Jesus said to him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. I wonder if he's ever heard that before. Rise, take up my bed and walk. You know I can't walk. He's crippled. Watch this next verse. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Can I tell you something? You have a, you have a friend. You have a friend that will lift you up. And you also have a friend that will always be there. And the most important thing I'm going to say to you this morning is this next one. You also have a friend that will pay your debts. Go to Luke chapter, 29, Luke chapter 23, and I want you to see this story, and then we'll be done. Luke chapter 23. When I read this story, it's, it's a wonderful story, but it's one of the saddest stories written in the Gospels also. When you read this, I don't know if you've thought this whole thing through, but I want you to see this. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. This is the story of while Jesus is hanging on a cross, he has a conversation. It's the only gospel that shares this. He has a conversation with two men. And it's the two men that are going through what he's going through. And I would dare say they were probably already up on the cross when he came. And they probably saw him because they already knew they were going to be up there. They were already prepped. And here comes Jesus, and they see this man when they lay this cross down, and they see him lay his hands down and not complain one bit. And then they see him put his feet up, and he sees the nails drawn in his hand and in his feet. If you remember the encounter, what does the, the guard say at the very bottom? When he gives up the ghost, what does he say? Truly, this must be the Son of God. Because he had never seen anybody do what Christ was, was doing there. He didn't see the argument. He didn't see, the, the, he didn't see them, him yelling at people. He didn't see them having an attitude about it. Everybody that's in prison will tell you that they're innocent to some extent. And here's a man that was nailed at a cross that did no wrong. Let's read the story in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 39. It says here, it says, And one of the malefactors, which were hung, 
hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. What's his attitude? His attitude was all about him. Little did he know, if you think about that statement, watch that statement, what does he say? Save us. Little does he know he's about ready to save the other one, but not him. Because what was salvation to him? Salvation to him was getting off that cross. Salvation to the other one was what? Staying on that cross and dying and seeing true salvation. I've shared my testimony with this church. And sometimes, sometimes we don't understand why God works in the ways that he does. But I had went through college. I was studying to be in, in ministry. And, and I knew I had a head knowledge of who Christ was. But I did not have a heart knowledge. And I would hear, the, I would hear the, the, the salvation story and I'd hear it in, in churches and I would go out and I'd actually witness to people when I was, when I was in a singing group and I would do that and I would, I would share the gospel with them. But I just had a head knowledge about it. I knew who he was. But then in the other side of my mind, I would sit there and go, if the, if the tribulation happened today, the, the, the rapture of the church were to happen today, what would I do? Well, that right there tells me that I did not have my salvation settled. Because I was never thinking I was going to go to heaven. I just thought, what would I do on this earth? And can I tell you, when the tribulation happens and the rapture happens, it's going to be a miserable place on this earth. Amen. We think it's bad now. It's going to be bad even then. It, worse then. Amen. And I would tell myself, this is how far I would go. I would say, I'm going to live in the mountains. I'll live off the land. Well, if you know me, I can't live off the land. I'm not a camper. I'm not a... Guy that goes in a tent, I am a hoteller, okay? I've got to be in a hotel, and I like the ones where they let you fix your own breakfast in the morning. That's who I am. And I had my mind, Cecil had my mind so set that I was going to be okay in the mountains. I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm telling you, I had this in-depth conversation with myself numerous times, numerous times thinking, if the rapture took place, this is what I would do. You know, I don't think that anymore. Because I'm not going to be here. I've got it settled. And it's wonderful to have it settled. There's no reason for you to have doubt. Friend, I'm telling you right now, there's no reason. Because you have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You do. And it's when you, when you look at this story and you see this man on the cross saying, hey, just get me down and everything will be all right. You know what? His life would not have changed. It wouldn't have. Because it was all about his situation. But then, praise God, there was another one up there talking. Now, I don't know how far apart they were. I'm thinking probably each cross was probably 10 feet apart. But one man missed heaven and he was crucified beside the God that created the universe that never did any wrong. And he was 10 feet away from him. You say, well, why don't people accept Christ? If a man's dying on a cross and he won't accept it, do you think other people will too? There's a lot of people that won't. But it never changes the fact that we've got to share our faith with them. Man, I'm telling you something. I slept better that night when I got my salvation settled because I knew that he paid a debt that I couldn't pay. He paid a debt that I could not pay. Now look at, look at the sinful state. In verse, well, we'll look at the fear, fear of God in this. If, if you keep reading in this, in verse number 39 and 40, 
you'll see the other one answer him. The first one says, does that, he answers him and says, do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? Where's God at in your life? We serve a sovereign God, don't we? And he knows everything. And I, and I just look at it and I go, wow. He, he asks this, this, this to his friend, probably his friend himself. He says, dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And then he says, he, he puts it in, and he uses a word. What's the second word in the next verse? And we indeed. And we indeed. As you, as you read, keep reading, it says, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Christ had not done anything amiss. He had not done anything wrong, and he knew it. Hmm. Then he makes this two, these two words. He says this to him while hanging on the cross. And he said unto Jesus, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I remember the day when I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I didn't see flash of lightning. Nothing drastically changed other than it went from here to here. And ever since that day, I've never had to worry about it. I've got a friend that when we go through situations, my wife and I go through situations, I've got a friend that walketh, walketh with me. I've got, I've got the Holy Spirit convicting me when I do things wrong. Because when you have that salvation, that Holy Spirit comes in and he tells you, he shows you right from wrong. Can I ask you this simple question, friend? Are you a good person? We're going through this in Sunday school, but are you a good person? Most people will say they are, right? And if you're in my Sunday school class, this is repetitive, okay? But you know what? If I were to ask, I'm going to ask just Ray a real quick Quick question. Ray, have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? If you tell a lie, what are you called? A liar. Ooh. Anybody want to be called a liar? I don't. But I've, I've lied before. So I am a liar. If someone were to ask me, have you ever stolen anything? I've taken things that weren't mine before. Not lately, okay, but I've, I've taken things that, that, were, that were not mine. So what does that make me? A thief. Makes me a thief. The Bible also says if you've looked at a woman in the wrong way, you, you've, you've, you've lusted after her, you've committed adultery in your head. Jesus says that's his disciples. And every man in here and every woman's done that. We've done it. We've broken every commandment out of all the ten. But yet we still say we're good. In God's eyes, am I a good person if I've broken every, all the ten commandments? No, I'm not a good person. You know what I need in my life? I need that conscious to get in there and say, you are a bad person. There's no way you can get to heaven because everything up in heaven is good. Righteousness is up there. Sin is not. And I can't carry that sin, even though I think I might be better. If I weigh my life out, I'm better good than bad. That doesn't ha that's not how God did it. How did, the, how, did the, um, how did Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? They got kicked out by just one, one thing, disobedience. It wasn't one of, those more, one of those big sins that everybody thinks of. It was just strictly disobedience. They ate something they weren't supposed to eat. You say, well, that seems really petty. It's not when God tells you not to. And so we've got to get back to understanding this. This guy is on the cross, and I can tell you this. This guy on the cross cannot do anything for God. 
He will never be able to witness to people. He will never even be able to get baptized. He can't do anything for God. But can I tell you something? God still did something wonderful for him. And so in this situation, he says, Lord, remember me. See, the first one says, save me. The other one says, remember me. And look what Jesus' answer was. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Man, I've got a friend that loves me. And that friend is my salvation. And that friend paid the debt that I could not pay. See, I couldn't get to heaven because I have sin in my life. But thank God, Christ died on a cross. He rose again and he did it for my sins. I want you to look at one more text and we'll be done. One more. Um, John chapter 15. I want you to see this. We didn't look at all of this when we looked at it. But I want you to see this. John chapter 15. And I want you to start with this. See, everybody loves friends. You have something in common if you have a friend. John chapter 15, verse 12. Follow along with me. We'll read these three verses and we'll be done. Verse number 12 says this. It says, this is my commandment. Jesus is saying this, that you love one another as I have loved you. You know, it's interesting when he says that, he means it to Peter, to Judas, to Philip, to Thomas. He means it to all of them. He loved them. He said, listen, I love you, and I want you to know that, and I want you to love other people. Then it says in verse number 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Later on, that would resolute in the disciples' heads when they figured out that he was talking about himself. He was going to die for these disciples. They didn't know it. They didn't understand it. Even to the, the time when he goes and he goes in front of, of the kings and Herod and Pontius Pilate. He goes through all these. They don't understand everything that's going to happen. He's going to die and they're going to doubt it. They're going to go back to their ways and he's going to come back to them and say, listen, you need to do what I called you to do. But then he says this, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. God wants us to be friends with him. He is our friend. Are you his friend? I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what problems you're, you're handling, you've got to go through, but I do know this, that you've got a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he's going to lay, he laid down his life for you. And there is no greater love than that. I'll just be very honest with you. I have two daughters. I have one that's 25, one that's 23. And I love a lot of people in here, but if Jeff Renfro walked up to me and said, would you lay down your daughter's life for me? I'd say, no, I wouldn't, because I love my daughter. I love Jeff, but I wouldn't do it. But can I tell you that Jesus was God's only son, and God sacrificed his only son for you. And he felt all the pain. He felt all the pain. He, he struggled with all of it. And even when he was thirsty on the cross, what'd they ask him? They brought vinegar to him poured it on him. And yet he still did that because he loved us. I am so thankful that I have a friend in Christ and he loves me despite my faults. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're visiting with us or if you're a regular one here, let me tell you something. That Jesus is a friend that will lift you up. Also, Jesus is a friend that will always be there. He'll always be there for you. And thirdly, aren't you thankful that he paid your debts? He paid your debts. Wow, I am so thankful that Jesus paid the debt that I could not pay. It was a debt I could never do it. 
I could try to be good and try to be good and try to be good, but that wouldn't get me to heaven. The Bible says this, not of works, lest any man should boast. We serve a great God. And he had this whole plan and he had it planned out for us. He has it planned out for you. I wish I could accept him for you. And I wish I could tell you, even if you, if you have accepted him, that I'm telling you, he will lift you up when you are down. And he'll always be there for you. I wish I could do that for you. But he's a personal savior. That means he's personal to you. If you just would accept him. Lord, I thank you for these people. Lord, I thank you for the, the attitude. I thank you for the, the people that are present. I thank you for the the, the um, friends that we have in this world. Lord, you know exactly what kind of friends we need. May we have a friend that iron sharpeneth iron. Lord, may we see that you have something for us. Lord, may, may we understand that you definitely are the friend that laid down your life for us. And there's no greater love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Lord, thank you for the gift that you gave us. May we never take it for granted. May we understand that you died for the, the, the thief on the right and the left. One of them accepted you and one of them didn't. Lord, may we be that one that accepts you. And may we understand that there's nothing that I can do that's all that, what you've done. May we truly realize that we're not good people. We let you down all the time and there's so much sin in our life. Lord, you take that sin away. You make it where we can go up to heaven because you died on a cross and rose again for us. You carried our sins. You took away our sins. And Lord, we're thankful for that. May we have friends that uplift us. May we understand that you give us friends in this world to make us who we need to be. May we never take it for granted what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand for us with no one looking around, just a second, I'm going to ask Daniel to pick, start playing the piano. But I've got a couple questions for you. Has there ever been a time in your life that you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior? I'm not going to question any of you. I just want to know so I can pray for you. Could you raise your hand if, you, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior all over the auditorium? It's a great thing to do, isn't it? You sleep better at night. If, you've, if you don't have the ability to raise your hand, come see me. I would love to show you what it means, what it says in the scriptures about salvation. Because you do have a friend that paid your debt. Now, how many of you, if you, with no one looking around, would say, you know, Pastor, sometimes I get down. There's some things that, that affect me. And sometimes I don't know how I'm going to get myself up, and then I need Christ to uplift me. How many of you have ever been in that situation? I have. Aren't you thankful that he lifts you up? Aren't you thankful that he's always there, praise God? Never puts you on hold. He listens to everything that you say. When's the last time you thanked him for always being there and for lifting you up? Why don't we just come to this old-fashioned altar this morning? Just thank God for what he's done. Thank him, for, thank, you, thank him for being there when you're sinking in the water and he lifts his hand up and pulls you up. Thank him for always being there to, to say, hey, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. Man, I'm so thankful that God is always with me and he lifts me up. When's the last time you thanked him for that? Lord, I thank you for these people. I love them. I'm so thankful for being here. But I look at this situation when we think about friend day, and we all have friends. If I ask people, who's your best friend? 
And we can just name them right off the bat. I'm so thankful for my best friend, my wife. But in all actuality, my best friend is not my wife. My best friend is, is, is Christ. He walks with me. He knows me. He knows my shortcomings. He knows my issues that I have to deal with. But Lord, you still walk with me. You lift me up. You care for me and you pay my debts. Lord, may I get in a situation where I am thankful for who you are. And I'll give you all the praise and glory for what you've done through me. Because it's not me, it's you. May we be a thankful generation. In Jesus' name we pray. As the piano starts, the invitation is open. would encourage you to come to this old-fashioned altar, sit at your pew, and just thank the Lord for what He's done. For what He's done.